a little engine. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Now I'm your host, Adam Lowry, as always. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage for sure. I know the man that's sitting on the other end of this podcast definitely lives his Cognitive Rampage. Mr. Danny Page, my friend, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely excited to be here, bro. Uh, well, I've been excited to have you on, man. I Like everyone kind of knows, I I watch people on social media and I'll kind of, it's stalkerish, it's weird. But you kind of... <laughs> You know, you, you follow to see, right? Because every once in a while, you'll see somebody posting some really good stuff, and then you'll see them just snap out and lose it like I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, But anyway, man, you're true to your message, man. You're, you're true to what you believe, what you say, and I, I love how you live that with no apology. So if you will, man, tell uh, you know all the listeners and stuff you know what you do. So Adam, um, you know, I guess I've been kind of a, I hate the word life coach, but I've just been um, kind of a, a spiritual leader for a, a bunch of people over the past year. Um, I, I run a program called The Power of Truth, which is a, a one-on-one intensive retreat. And um, here's my sales pitch. I look at people in the eyes and I tell them, I'm going to save your life and I will change your life and I'll help you find your purpose and why. And that's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no stories. There's no, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'm going to fly you to Phoenix. It's, we're going to get down to the dirty, figure out what's going on in your life and figure out how we can help you heal so that you love yourself again. So that's what I, that's what I do by day and by night. Um, also the vice president of a company called Brush Club, which is all about, um, you know, I don't want to use the fitness industry, but let's just say the functional fitness industry in, in helping not only um, people exercise, but also especially focusing on the veterans and the adaptive community. And our motto is basically we're here to, to move, touch, and inspire people. And um, we run kind of a, a head-to-head fitness competition that um, we're, we're taking out on the road and we're, we're leaving Phoenix, Arizona to head to Florida next. Wow. And um, yeah, we, we've got over a million people coming to our next show. Wow, man. That's, yeah, so, I, I saw some things with some disabled veterans and uh, people specific uh, to that with the Rush Club. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we, we started initially with, with the CrossFit community. And in one of our, actually our CEO is, is a veteran from Afghanistan and Iraq. And he had the idea to help warriors that used to battle overseas come back home and still feel like they're a warrior. And we, we've been able to, you know, put them up against, you know, other warriors and, and go at these competitions. And it doesn't matter if they've lost one arm or one leg, or we've had some guys that have lost both legs that have been in wheelchair. And it, I tell you what, man, the hair stands up on the back of my neck when we get into these competitions, because it's not about fitness. It's about the audience. And there's these kids in the front row and their eyes are huge because talk about inspiration. You know, you can watch an NFL athlete or an Olympic athlete, but they can't reach out and touch them. And then all of a sudden, these guys in these wheelchairs come by and they give high fives to all these kids in the front row. And my eyes just well up because I get I get so emotional just watching it. Man, that's that's beautiful, man. Before we go, man, before we go farther into that, because we're probably going to talk two hours just about that. I uh, I like to know the story, you know, behind the behind the inspiration, behind the wisdom, behind the drive. I mean. I mean, walk me through, you know, your life, if you don't mind, and tell me those game-changing stories, if you will. You know, those, what what built Danny Page is kind of what I'm looking for, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It all started back in 1984, to be honest with you. Um, I, uh, I've, I've told this story a couple times, and it's taken me, 
it's taken me about 30 years to be able to share it with people because it used to scare me. And um, Christmas Eve of 1984, um, I, I grew up in a Catholic household. So we were getting ready for church, uh, you know, for the night before Christmas. And my sister at the time was 14 years old and I was five. She was nine years older. And um, she was having these headaches that she was complaining about. And she didn't want to go to church. She didn't feel good. So my parents were like, you know, we'll go ahead and let you stay. And I was this little weasel five-year-old that thought, I'm going to stay with her. Uh, I'll take care of her. And I'll never forget, I went and got one of those blue ice packs. Remember the old ones that we used to keep in the freezer? And I put that across her head. And my parents headed off to church. And um, we had opened a present for Christmas Eve before they left. And it was a Polaroid camera. That's 1984. So I'm dating myself. But um, I was snapping pictures of her and she was teaching me how to use an old uh, accountant style um, like calculator. And uh, I'll never forget that photo because she's got that blue pack across her eyes. And my parents were probably gone 10 or 15 minutes. And then my sister, Wendy, had a a massive aneurysm. And um, it happened right in front of me, Adam. And it scared the crap out of me because she screamed and screamed and screamed. And there was nothing I could do. Um, back in 1984, there wasn't 911. Um, we had the old rotary phones and somewhere on there was the, the phone number to the police department. And I never figured out how to do that. So I just stayed there and, and held her hand as long as I possibly could. And, um, her hand just kind of went limp in my hand. And I don't know time at this time because time, eh, I lost all accountability of time my parents got home maybe a half hour later and saw what had happened. I was screaming and crying. My sister was, was just kind of laying there and I'll never forget my dad. He reached up and grabbed her in his arms and her legs were hanging down. Her head was hanging down and my parents ran, you know, jumped in my dad's big truck. I'll never forget the sound of it leaving. And they ran to the hospital. Um, I don't know what happened from there? I, I kind of blacked out in terms of where I was emotionally. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing for me, Adam, was nobody came. You know, back then we didn't have cell phones and my parents were were fighting to keep my sister alive. And so I sat there from, you know, maybe seven o'clock or eight o'clock to receive till, you know, Christmas morning, the following morning, traumatized and not quite knowing what was going on. People started to show up at my house random people and the looks on their face, like I'll never forget. And it seemed like all of a sudden it was Christmas time and the music was on and the Christmas tree. And my parents came home not long after that. And they brought me into the room and they said, your sister's not going to be here for Christmas. At that age. And at that time, I couldn't comprehend what had happened. So I went back into the living room and started to open presents and my parents, you, you can, I still have the photos in a photo album. You can see the, the look on not only my parents' face, but everybody that was in the room there because they all knew what had transpired and what had happened and that we had lost my sister. But more importantly, everybody was just trying to keep it together for me so that I didn't lose, lose what was going on in my life. Um, that right there Danny, was... Talk about a life yeah that that's what set that's what created the person that is sitting in front of you right now Mm. and it's it's something that i didn't ever deal with adam i i 
I've um, up until a few years ago, I I turned to every possible thing you could think of to numb, from being an athlete to exercising to eating correctly, um, perfect grades. I always strive to be the best, you know, it's because I felt like that's what my parents wanted, and I felt like that that would you know make me better in their eyes and my eyes and everybody's eyes. You were living for two people, man. I absolutely. You are absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, and um, it's almost like you, oh man, I can't get out of my, what that would be like, man, to hold, you know, my sister or someone, you know, like my brother like that and, and go through that, man. Oh my, that's, oh man, you, you were doing, you were doing that for two people. Most definitely, man. That's that drive was serious. Yeah. And it just, you know, when I, I got through college and I started to, get into I went to Arizona State University and I started to kind of get into the night scene you know I would I would go out and the the drinking the drinking became more and more um, the drinking came to drugs because that made me feel a little bit better it was anything that I could do to check out from feeling and unfortunately my parents have never dealt with it either it's it's been a place of denial for all three of us for years and for me, it just I'm a very emotional person and a um, very intuitive person. So I'm always feeling that energy around me. And as I'm getting into my 20s, it's just pushing me harder and harder. And what it's done since my 20s up until a couple of years ago is it just really spun me out of control. I mean, I, I won't lie to you. I've, I've hurt myself so badly the last 10 years and everybody around me. Um, it came to it came to an eclipse, you know, kind of a uh, the wheels came off the bus. I, I guess you could say uh, it was February tenth of twenty thirteen, and I just I lost it. I drank until I couldn't drink anymore, and I I, I lost it on everybody that was around me. And I, I I grabbed a gun and I put a gun in my mouth. I had my wife at the time that was laying beneath me. And I wanted to check out. I, I wanted the pain of all the years of everything that I'd been through to come to a stop at that time. And I tried and I tried and I tried every, every avenue from therapy, psychotherapy to medication, you name it. I've tried everything. And at this point in my life, at this time of night, it was about 9.30 at night in February of 2013, I wanted to stop right there. And had two policemen not tased me, I would not be sitting in front of you right now. And it was at that moment where the change and the parallel change came for me in my life because I lived, I lived that night at that moment or at that, at that moment, the whole, my whole timeline changed because I was spared that night. And I, I know I was spared for a reason at that time. I just thought, crap, I'm in a lot of trouble. And I did out of my, I lost everything. I lost business. Um, I lost every ounce of money I had, uh, which ended up in a bankruptcy, ended up in a divorce. My daughter, who's now 16 years old, was taken from me. Um, talk about losing everything. You know, I've, I've got a great business. It's gone. I have great friends. They're gone. Uh, I was a volunteer for the sheriff's department, search and rescue, gone. Everything that I wanted in my life that I'd worked so hard to get was gone at that one moment of that night. And I'll never forget, I, I, I woke up in a four foot by four foot jail cell after this, you know, of all this chain of events of being, you know, arrested and transported and everything. 
and I sat there and, and they had taken the, the shoelaces out of my shoes so I wouldn't hang myself. I, I mean, that right there in, a, in itself was the biggest reality check. I'm in a four foot by four foot square. I can't even extend my arms out and I have nothing. I don't know where I'm at or where I'm going. And it was at that moment that I hit rock bottom and I realized something's got to change here. Like this is really, really bad. So that's where this whole change in my life really started. That's when I opened my eyes to spirit. That's when I opened my eyes to energy. That's when I opened my eyes to how do I help myself heal? Because I can't let this situation with my sister continue to eat me apart. She would not want that. You you changed. I mean, you took a, I mean, for a moment, you said this can't be the end of a story. You know, you changed the narrative in a moment. You changed a belief. I mean, all in, in that, in one moment, you know, that's why I like to say a lot of people talk about changes, this process, but I think in this, that given moment, sometimes not only can it affect us for life, but it can also change our entire lives, you know, like, like, like that fast, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It did. And it was, you know, for the first time in my life, I felt free. And, and what I mean by that is, I, you know, I, I got moved from that, that cell and I got put into a general population and I got processed and put into an actual county lockup where I'm, I'm in a room with a bunch, you know, I'm talking about maybe four or 500 guys. This is the first time you've been locked up before. Absolutely. First time I'd ever done anything wrong. I I think the worst thing I'd ever done was had a ticket. You know, I I mean, I'm a straight A student, I own entrepreneur. I own my own companies, a great father, great husband. And all of a sudden, like in the blink of a hat, it's gone. And I'll never forget. I'm, I'm on an elevator and I'm, I'm shackled to five other guys. And I don't know if I'm going up or down. That's how discombobulated I am. And I'll never forget the, the, the guard is standing in front of these two doors. And he says, you guys are just about to enter hell. Prepare yourself. And when those doors opened, it looked like something out of an HBO movie. Guys are playing poker. There's a fight over here. There's toilet paper being thrown. And it's wide open. There's no cells. It's just jail. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to your new life. Mm. And you know, for me, this became a processing time. This was, I'm not going to sit in this situation and feel sorry for myself. I'm going to sit in this situation and realize what can I learn from this? I have three months, six months here, who knows, to learn something about myself each and every day and begin to start to heal whatever is inside of me. And I, I started to talk to guys around me and I started to ask questions and started as I'm healing, I'm starting to ask other guys in there questions as well and i'm getting a connection with people and i'm seeing what wait a minute people are actually kind of drawn towards this energy that i have and not only am i helping them but i'm also helping myself by helping them the more i help these other people the more i heal and learn about myself so i fast forward about you know four or five months and i get out and i I, again i don't have anywhere to go so I, i i joined like a men's home and there were nine other guys that lived there and talk about a humbling experience from somebody that was very successful that had his own house to all of a sudden now I'm sharing a space with nine other guys sleeping in a bunk bed. That's, One, that's a lot about, um, you know, when those things that we chase, we let define us, you know, the job, the uh, title, the community, the car, you know, when those constructs define us, they create our identities, man. And, you know, it's like people jump off of buildings when they lose jobs, you know, it's, When people lose those social constructs, I think they wake up at the same time that, wait, that's not even real anyway. Yeah. 
it was, it was for me, it was that it really was. Cause I, I started to really be grounded in this house and I really started to take things that I used to take for granted. I used to take them. I began to take them to my heart. I'll never forget the first day I was out. Uh, a good friend of mine took me to an Einstein bagel and I had not eaten real food in, in quite some time. And she walked in and she opened the door and she's like, what do you want to have? And I just kind of sat there and I looked around and I looked at the menu and I had this big grin on my face. And she's like, what's, what are you so happy about? And I'm like, I'm just thankful to be in this room, in this building and to have an, a nice meal that I get to choose instead of somebody telling me what I'm going to eat or somebody stealing my food because they're bigger than me. You know, it's, it, it was, it was rough in there. It was, it was nasty. And I, I learned a lot about that world, but to be in this Einstein bagel and think, sure. gosh, I don't have enough money in my pocket, but this nice individual is going to get me something. That was the moment of gratitude right there for me. And it was the first step forward out of my humbleness and, and rebuilding back my life that I wanted. That's a shift in belief, man. I mean, that's a conscious shift in belief of perception of how we see the world and choose to see our place in the world. You yes. know, that's the power of the plasticity, I say, of perception, man. We can we can mold that and then follow that to a belief that really manifests re- our reality, you know, in many yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You, and what happened, I guess, in this in this men's home for me was I became a leader in there. I was the, you know, I was the new guy. I was the youngest guy in there. And I, I started to clean up after people and I started to cook and I started to ask guys, hey, do you guys want to meet, you know, after dinner? Since we don't have television, maybe we could all just meet and kind of chit chat. Yeah. And what happened was this little chit chat became why are you here? It was almost like an AA meeting per se, but it wasn't. It was more about, listen, you could be an addict. You could be an alcoholic. You could be addicted to whatever it is, but that all stems from something. And for a majority of us, it stems from something in our childhood. And I was the first person to raise my hand and and start talking about things that had happened. And I was getting input and feedback and I was learning and they were learning and we all began to heal together at that point. Yeah, it's trauma, man. And, you know, uh, Dr. Gavor Matei, who will be on the podcast soon, hopefully. But uh, anyway, he I love his stance on that. I love how you said it. You stated it there that when you said childhood, a lot of times it's trauma. You know, the base of most of our poor thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, they they stem from trauma. And my friend, the trauma that you experienced at such a young age and never really getting a chance to to purge that from you. Yeah, I mean, it was bound to bubble at some time in your life, you know, and I'm just grateful that, you know, well, for the first time in my life, I'm grateful that a, a cop tased somebody. <laughs> well, I, guess, I guess I'd prefer him to tase more people than shoot them anyway, but uh, yeah. thankful they didn't shoot you. And, you know, but I can see that, you know, it bubbled. It came to a head, you know, once you achieved everything they told you, you know, you, you were supposed to achieve, everything was supposed to be okay. Yeah. And then when that goes away, it's bam, there's the bubble, man. And man, you know, that loss of freedom too. people, you know, people live that, you know, for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, you had to meet some guys in there that have been doing the in and out, right? They, um, they prefer to be in versus outside because they have, you know, three square meals in a cot and they don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's for them, that's their comfort zone. And it's sad and disheartening to know that there's, 
so many broken souls that think that those concrete walls are now their home. And I tried to get through as many of those guys as I could. I really did. I became not the preacher, but just the guy that stood up and talked to people and tried to get guys to open up instead of talking about profanity and fighting each other and being mad at their situation. I literally asked those guys like, what, what could you learn from this? Seriously. I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a, such a simple question, but let's, let's dumb it down to a really acute point and let's ask each and every person in here, what can you learn from the situation that got you here? Imagine if you got out and you took that one slice of, of knowledge and grew it, you guys would never come back here because that's what happened for me. Yeah, well, the first thing you did was uh, break the first rule in prison, which is uh, or county or wherever else they uh, have razor wire is you don't make yourself vulnerable. And the, you know, the key to communication, <clears throat> I talk to people sometimes is look, anger, communication, all this can some sometimes be based in being vulnerable. And you were willing, willing to be vulnerable in a place you're not supposed to be vulnerable. And that kind of makes people feel, all right, he's going to be vulnerable. You know, you were telling him to do that. And then, then reflect back on that as well in the live and ask questions, man, rather than react, man. That's good. You know, it was for the first time in my life that I was vulnerable. I, I was hurting so badly inside up until this point that I always put on a facade and I put on a show so that nobody could see inside and see Danny Page was really hurting. And yeah. for, you know, for me, the first time that I sat down in lockup and I had, a, I had a card in front of me that said my charges on it, I was sharing them with people around me and I was opening up about what I had did and I was being honest. And that was the first time like, I truly opened up in my entire life since 1984. That, that one time, that, that one time right there it changed you know over to everything else. I, I'll never forget it. I'm sitting down on a bench looking at my card and I'm like, Hey, what are you in for? And he's like, I, I, don't worry about it. Well, I'm in for this and this and this, and this is kind of why. And I started to pull down my walls and that was, that was day one of it. And then it just transgressed and got bigger and bigger and bigger. Did you, which, did you see it that at that moment? someone else being vulnerable and maybe like you said all right it's okay let me lead you out by kind of just doing it i mean i, I don't know why that one that one talk what what at that moment you think made you be vulnerable i think it was the only thing i had not tried in this life mm -hmm. to heal i think it was like that one thing that i was so scared of because i've tried everything else as we know you know i tried to check out i tried to do this i tried to do that but i thought wait a minute what if i'm just authentic and truthful what if I just told this person the truth? He could not even listen to me, but he might. And what had happened is, you know, now, now I'm not sitting by myself on this bench. He comes over, another guy comes over, another guy comes over, which we'll get to this later. But like, just remember that point of vulnerability for me is what created a movement that I created in social media. And it's extremely powerful for me because I learned it in prison. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's not many people out there on social media that can say we are uh, advocating <laughs> for anybody. Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Murder, rape, you know, child molesting. Yes. I'm sorry. Do the Yeah. If we can prove all that. Yes. But uh, drug charges, all this stuff. No, no. Let's. Uh, OK. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just just want to be clear. <laughs> 
so it's um it, you're absolutely right though you um uh, you hit the nail on the head i i became vulnerable and um I opened up to everybody in there and, um, you know, some people didn't like it, but there were others that did. And it didn't matter what anybody thought for the first time in my life. It didn't matter what they say. I was so scared of being judged Adam, my whole life. I mean, honestly, I walked on eggshells and I, I, I wore masks all the time and armor is the biggest armor I could possibly carry to protect the little heart that was inside of me that was broke. Uh, you- and, um, it just, you were keeping it buried, man. You, what you were yeah. doing, there was this geyser of hurt underneath there. And all you were doing, you were trying to put heavier and heavier shit on top of it to hold it, you know? Yeah. And all that stuff you bought, the jobs, all the obtainment, all that yeah. stuff was stacked up trying to hold that hurt down, man. Yeah, it was. Um, when I was released, I, I didn't have a phone, a wallet, an identification. Or anything. Everything was taken from me. And it was in the middle of the night in Phoenix. So, you know, it's in February. Rehabilitate state of Arizona. Nice. I mean, you know, you lock the guy up and then, um, and then you got to get an ID, but you have no money to your name. Yeah. I I had nothing. And so they, they push you out these doors. And at that moment I could understand how somebody would want to go back in. Cause I did. Hmm. I didn't, I'm in the streets of downtown Phoenix in the middle of the night. And what I did at that moment is I turned around and I looked at that door for a minute and I thought, you could choose to lay down and go back in there or you can choose to stand up at this moment and fight. And by fighting, you're going to walk and find people and you're going to find the community that's around there and find somebody that's got a phone and get a hold of somebody. And I, I, I didn't for that first night, but what I did is I, I found some homeless people that were laying down and had cardboard boxes that were about 50 to a hundred yards away from the entrance to jail. And I was freezing cold. I didn't have any clothes except what they had sent me out with. And, um, I went over and started talking to these people and I ended up laying down and creating cover and space and, and getting warm with them. And then that again was the next step for me that I'm no better than anybody else. All of these past judgments about this person does this, or, you know, you know, they're on the streets because of this, that's all gone. My plate was so clear and open to help and just listen and, and just be with other people. And I'll never forget that night. That night was one of the most like special nights of my life because I, I, I was there and I'm talking, communicating. And these people are looking at me like, why are you here? You don't need to be here. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm actually really good right here. I'm not worried. I don't have fear anymore. I'm not living with fear. Hmm. So that, that vulnerability right there again started to just build and build and build. And then, of course, once I got into the men's home in that in that. Um, it really opened up because I started to see that my words and my being vulnerable and my drop in my garden walls helped everybody else in that place. And a home that had such high turnover all of a sudden didn't have such high turnover anymore. Mm. And that's where I started Adam to kind of wrap my hands around. Maybe you have a gift. Maybe there's something that you were spared for. Maybe there's a higher purpose of why you didn't choose to go over to the other side or why you weren't taken to the other side. And um, it's just grown from there. I mean, it, it has exponentially grown from getting out of that, that men's home, getting back on my feet, getting my business started, my, my training, my fitness company, getting my family back, getting my ex-wife, bringing her back into my life, getting my daughter back, getting all of the charges and everything expunged. I mean, I have gone through so much to, to create a, a clean history and a clean path going forward. 
to where I don't have to worry about that anymore. Cause that would have been for me very difficult because I would have held on to that past and blamed myself. So overcoming all that, erasing all that, putting that all, you know, to bed has allowed me to take some ma- just monster steps forward. And how, how long ago or how long has it been since you were released that day? It's been about two and a half years. Yeah. So in two and a yeah. half years, man. So when you opened about all the things that you're doing now, um, yeah, that's a short time to be launching, uh, all of those, uh, to be as successful as they are too. the groups that you are, that you run online, the followings there, the events that you host, you know, you're like, you're open with, you're all over the map with just taking care of you, not you, yeah. probably, right. But just, yeah, people do so. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's happens in the last six months and actually I'd say within the last six to eight months, I have began to heal so much that I, I finally was able to go to the cemetery and I had a long talk with my sister spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I started to understand that this has all happened for a reason. And I am where I am today because of the choices that I made yesterday. That's one of my favorite sayings that is on every one of my notebooks. The choices that I made back then had got me where I am right now. Dealing with her loss, talking about it, communicating with her, healing, uh, learning to celebrate her, her, her life rather than mourn her death for me was one of the biggest transformations that I'd ever made to, to flip over almost like a switch and be able to go to the cemetery instead of crying and running, but actually to sit on top of her grave and meditate and feel positive energy coming inside of me is one of the most powerful things I've ever felt in my life. And I use that now, like with my coaching and with my programs and things that I run. And I promise you, Adam, it's, it's, it's not me that's coaching these people. It's, it's, it's a higher power and it's a universe that's just channeling through me. And a lot of times it's, it's my sister that gives me the strength to be able to help these, these souls that are, that are dying and hurting that are coming to see me for help. It, it was probably my first retreat that I ran, to be honest with you. It, it was the first retreat that I ran and I took, I took this chance and I, a guy had reached out to me and he's like, I see what you're doing. I see what you went through. I want to do the same thing. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to, I'm going to take this on. And I, and I put him through like a two day retreat and the whole time I, it wasn't scripted. It wasn't um, stuff that I'd learned from a textbook. It wasn't life coaching. It was me holding his energy and holding his hand and crying with him and talking to, yeah, talking to him about what he had experienced as a child. Some of those videos are intense, man. I, the the way, I mean, look, there's a bunch of ways to help people. I even write in the book that no one owns the patent on how to help someone specifically when it comes to, you know, things we battle mentally, you know, et cetera. There's research that helps there's certain ways and methods. I get it. But I mean, what we go through, what we experience, I think that allows us to help other people in pretty specific ways with pretty specific issues, you know, that are all tend to be related. You know, you find those people that are really good with people in and out of prison. You find people that are really good with relationships, you know, yeah. uh, and with personal development, you know, all over the, the board. But, you know, when you first allowed yourself to be vulnerable, man, I think, you know, you realize how powerful that is. I, I, that word's so simple, man, but there's so much about this world that preaches against being vulnerable or being uh, open about who we are, but still protective in, in nature, right? Yeah. 
It's, it did. When, you know, one of the biggest challenges for me that I had to overtake was to overcome this fear of public speaking or being in front of a large group of people. So one of the biggest things as you've seen me do is I had to, I filmed my first video and it was a Facebook video, which for most people is not a big deal, but for half the population, I mean, I think the second most thing people that are afraid of in this life is, is death. The number one most important thing that people are afraid of is public speaking. And I was that person. And to think I was going to put up um, a camera, lions a phone. Lions and sharks are up there with me too, man. <laughs> So to put this phone up and actually film myself talking about my healing and about what I had gone through. And it was a simple five minute video, but it reached out. Yeah. It reached out and it touched so many people. And I was scared to death, Adam, when I sent it to Facebook and posted it, I was like, shut everything, shut everything. I don't even want to look. And then I think I checked it the next day and all of a sudden I had like 38 comments and but behind the closed door, there were like 68 private messages with people saying, how did you do that? Can you talk to me? I need your help. I, I can't believe you said that. You have no idea that that's exactly how I feel. I just, you know, and, and there was all of these connections that began to take place. And that was like my first video. And then I thought to myself back to that, that jail cell where I'm comparing my notes and learning that being vulnerable and, and showing something some, to somebody else is empowering. So I'm thinking to myself, I, if I did one of these videos, why can't I do seven? I'll do seven in a row to prove to myself that I can do this. And I did, and that's where that whole seven-day Facebook video challenge thing got started that I, that I began. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I think there's been a thousand people have participated with over 10,000 different videos with over a hundred thousand views talk about like a bunch of people reaching out and opening up and to sit back and watch some of these videos Adam, I know exactly what these people are feeling and you can see from day one to day two to day three that they really start to just crumble and drop the walls and the onion is peeled open and they start to shine and that 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 weakness in their voice becomes much more confident and their posture gets better it's it's one of the best things I've ever got to be a part of in my entire life. Yeah, the well, the world basically pushes us down in a certain way from certain angles, of all angles, really, right? The social constructs that we talked about earlier, everybody battles those. And, you know, to break free of those, the big one would be fear. You know, we're we're marketed to be in fear. We're, we're shit, we're raised in fear if your parents are around for the most yeah. part, right? And so anytime we feel the need to open up about what we're worried about, whether that's personal or even just around us, it, it feels like it's weakness, right? Yeah, it is. And so for me too, with this video challenge, the, the toughest thing about it was to do it in one take. Just think about my life in the past and most of us too. How many people can do a, a one take video, record end and send? Because we all want to edit it. We all want to, wait a minute, I could have said a different word, or maybe, maybe the light wasn't so good. And that was, for me, one of the biggest challenges and hurdles to overcome, which then became like this ripple effect to every single person else that took the challenge. You know, and they were all giving me crap the whole time. They're like, dude, that's so hard to do it in one take. I'm like, well, that's the whole point. Like, yeah. there is only one chance in life. You don't get a second chance. There's no, oh, let's do it again. And 
dude, it touched so many people. I'm still getting messages on a daily basis on that video challenge. And it opened my eyes to a whole different world of social media. The internet's the beautiful thing about that, man. I mean, it's how, uh, you know, now the Aguilar and I have reached out and, and got in touch. It's how the that whole functional patterns family and, and my tribe of change kind of merged. And um, I actually started following through you because I saw a post from a guy that's been on the show twice, Eric, or Eric, I always want to say Eric for some reason, but Andrew Miranti, who was on our show twice. Yeah. But um, I caught you in one of his feeds. And then from there, that's kind of where it, it led to, man. So, you know, the Internet's the powerful thing like that, that we can reach out, whether it's with one message. For me, I mean, all of Adam's rampage is where it started on YouTube. Where <laughs> my ridiculous rants I would throw up and uh, literally <laughs> almost <laughs> And but I would just put the camera up in some awkward fashion. Sometimes I was that guy that forgot to put the shirt on. And anyway, just kind of talk about what it was, you know, and it I don't know, it was kind of a release to say, hey, and when you do see that, you know, people do think like that, they under they understand what, you know, what you may be thinking or have the same questions, man. That's yeah. what I love about the Internet, man. It brings people together that way, too. It's been so helpful, you know, helpful for me. I when I started this video challenge, um, Eight months ago, I had 83 friends on Facebook, right. and I don't know how many I have. I, I 10,000, 15,000 people that are that follow me. Yeah, I, you know, at least those 83. I can tell you. That. <laughs> yeah, so it's been um, it's created a heck of a platform for me to be able to um, reach out and touch people. I think your life created the platform, man. I yeah, think internet's just a delivery system. You're absolutely. Yeah. If, you know, if you hadn't experienced what you did, you would have nothing to deliver, man. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I've, I've been putting it out to the universe that, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always put it out for the last, I guess, four or five weeks that if I could find more podcasts and then you connected with me, it's amazing how it's, it's worked because all I'm asking for is just a microphone and a platform to stand on. Start a podcast, man. Yeah, I've thought about it. Definitely. Okay. Hold on. Let's think about it together. All right, you ready? You want to start a podcast? <laughs> I have a microphone right here. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a podcast studio. So, yeah, I, I actually just came across this place that I'm in, and uh, I, I rented it for half a day so I could kind of play around in here, have you know peace, have all this equipment to work around. And um, it's something I'm starting to get interested in. Cause I, yeah, I, I, I can help you, man. You know, we'll help you. Uh, if you got any direct questions about what to buy, what to do, man, just uh, – you know, I'll, shit, I'll help you all day, man. I'll cut a lot of your time in half. I promise you that. Oh, that'd be great. I appreciate it. I mean, that's a nice mic, though. Is that that's the Shure too? I saw you. Yeah, there's um, there's four mics in here. There's headphones. There's a, a badass computer. Everything's right here. So, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's an adventure, man. You, I, you've already been bitten, man. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's it, man. There's nothing but, to do but to do it. You'd probably agree with that. Yeah. I just, I have so many stories to share and so many experiences that I haven't even began to touch on. And, you know, I, every week I have somebody that flies in from out of town that spends three or four days with me here in Phoenix that I, I put through these intensives and the things I get to see at them. I, I mean, this past weekend's event, I still haven't put my head around it. I can't put words to it for what I saw happen with this individual. Take me to it, brother. We're sitting around the campfire right now, man. Take, so, take me to it. What, what, uh, what happened? This gentleman came, um, you know, he, he actually yeah. came. Yeah. 
Hey. He actually came to the um, my Rush Club event uh, about a month and a half ago. And Did you say his name or anything? Because you, you cut out for a little bit, man, for some reason on this end. Yeah. So um, his name is Jason Reeves. And um, here's, a, here's an interesting aspect. Jason was the very first person that saw my video that I posted. So September 24th of 2015, he still has it and I still have it. It's the very first private message I'd ever received. I didn't know what a private message was. Um, you know, less than a year ago, I had no idea what social media was. Um, my biggest thing I'd ever done was post a meme <laughs> from Morgan Freeman. So I, I had no clue what I was doing. Jason responded after seeing my video and said, um, Danny, you have no idea what that video did to me. It speaks to me on so many different levels. And we became, you know, um, good friends through social media. And he would reach out for questions and things like that. And um, he actually, fast forward, came to a Rush Club event here in Phoenix in June. And um, it took him everything to get out here financially. He um, really, really had to stress to get out here. And um, Jason is, is just shy of 500 pounds. So he had to get two seats on an airplane to and from. And um, his physical health is diminishing. And Jason's experienced some things like I have in his life. He lost his mom and dad a few years ago, and he's suffered um, a lot of family loss and a lot of friends that have um, that have been taken. So he's at the event, Rush Club event here in June, and he's talking to Becca, my wife, who's a an intuitive healer, uh, an energy healer. And um, she's listening to his story, and she's kind of feeling his energy. And she said to him, if you really want to come out here and work with Danny, you should just put up a GoFundMe because I can foresee in the future that it's going to work for you really well. People love you and people will support you. And he thought to himself, that's BS. There's no way. I don't, nobody loves me. Nobody's going to do this for me. So he flew home and he thought about it and he thought about it and he thought about it. And he had taken a photo of me and him at the event. And the next thing I know, he puts up a photo and a GoFundMe. And it says, I need $4,000 to get out to see Danny Page to save my life. I, I, I need to lose weight. But more importantly, with the physical stuff, I need to heal from what's going on or else I'm not going to make it anymore. Jason tried to commit suicide about a year, year and a half ago. And unfortunately, he still lives in the same house that his mom passed away in. The door's never been opened. There's a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of what I've been through is inside of him. So he puts up a GoFundMe and within a couple of days, he's got $90 and it was the 4th of July and I was out at the pool with my family and I got a message from a very close friend of mine that said, what's the deal with Jason Reeves? And I said, question mark. He says, does he need your help? Is he hurting? And I said, yes. Can you help him, Danny? Yes. Next thing I know, a thousand dollars was sent from this gentleman, Nick Martin into Jason's GoFundMe. That's kind of Nick, man. It was amazing. It started a a ripple, a shockwave of people that began to donate to support this guy. Now, people could call this a coincidence, but I actually get a notification right as the money hits Jason's GoFundMe account that Jason Reeves is live on Facebook. So he's talking about 4th of July, wishing everybody a 4th of July, happy 4th. And I looked at him and I thought, I'm going to say something to him because he's not going to, he's not going to know how to take this. And I still have the video saved. It's a live video and he's talking and he sees me get on board and he's like, Oh, where can somebody watch it? 
Um, it's on my Facebook page. So just go to Danny page, scroll down, you'll see Jason Reeves live video. And I tell you like at the 13 minute mark and, um, I, I log in and he says, Oh my gosh, you know, Danny's on here and Danny, I can't wait to come see you. Just fingers crossed. I can start raising some money. I have about $90. And, um, I say, I, I typed in the, in the comment section, I said, have you checked your GoFundMe question mark? And he's like, no, 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 I haven't checked it, but I'll get to it. Go check it right now. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Go check it right now. Exclamation point, exclamation point. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll get on it. And you can see him turn from one computer to another computer. And he logs in and his eyes go like that. And the tears start running down his eyes. So he's crying. I'm crying. My wife's crying. Nick's crying. We're all watching this go down. Mm -hmm. And that was probably like the moment that it all started for Jason. That's when he believed that people loved him and people cared for him and that this was going to work. And he, how, how long did he come out and stay with you? He was out with us for four days. So he was out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And people, he raised $4,000, which covered his entire trip out here. Everything he needed from airfare to hotel, the, the entire you know trip expense. And for me and Jason, we dove deeper into the emotional stuff than I've ever dug into with anybody that I've worked with. One of the, um, one of the activities and events that I do when on my retreats with certain people that are, that are mourning and healing is I will take them to a cemetery and I take them there blindfolded. So they have no idea where they're going. So Jason is blindfolded and he gets out of the vehicle and he's holding my hand and I stop uh, over my, my sister's grave and I take him to her cemetery and I say, how do you feel right now? And he's squeezing my hand because you can tell he's nervous as all heck. He's scared. And he says, I feel his hand like get lighter in mind. And he's like, I feel calm all of a sudden. I feel at peace. And so I walk him a little bit further to some of my grandparents and my cousins and relatives, a bunch of graves that say Paige. And I stop again and I say, how do you feel now? And he's like, even more calm, even, even more at peace. So I, I walk him up some stairs and I, I place both of his hands on this big kind of, um, it's basically a morgue in the middle, which is a, it has a casket underneath it and it's made of solid stone. And I put both hands up there and I give him a notebook and I slowly pull off his, his blindfold and his eyes just get big and he looks around and he sees all the graves and he realizes the energy that he's feeling. The tears start running down his eyes. And I open his notebook and I give him a pen and I say, Jason, what I need you to do is I need you to write your eulogy. As of last night when you landed in Phoenix, you passed away and you are no longer with us. So I need to know who's here and what they're going to have to say about you. And I leave him alone for about 30 minutes and it's extremely stressful for these, these guys and girls that have to go through this. Um, so Jason writes for about 30 minutes and he comes in and he has a seat in this um, it, it's a very holy room. It's very special to me um, in terms of my healing. And I had a couple chairs set up and it's air conditioned and we're starting to cool off because it's so bad and hot here in Arizona right now. And I look at him and I say, can you share with me what you wrote? And Adam, it was the most shallow eulogy that you'd ever heard somebody writ wrote in their life. It was five people that were going to carry him in his casket and it were two people that he had spoken to recently. One of them said, I wish you good luck in Phoenix. And the other one 
was talking about Slash's guitar in a Guns N' Roses band. And I looked at him and I said, that's it? That's all that you have for me? And he, his eyes got a little bit bigger and I said, that's all that, that's all that people have to say. That's, that's it. Those two things. And I said, why, Jason? Why, why is it just that? And he looked at me and he started to cry and he's like, I don't deserve any better. I, I, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anybody to be here. I don't deserve anybody to love me. And I understood right then what I needed to do. And I, I, I had him close his book for a moment and I, I showed him on the side of my arm, I have this tattoo of this hummingbird that's right here. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if I willed this to happen because I've never seen a hummingbird at my sister's cemetery before. And in terms of energy and energy animals, the, the spiritual energy of an animal, the hummingbird signifies somebody that's extremely close to us that is passed on. And they usually show up in a time that, they, that they're needed. And they show up to protect us or to empower us. So I looked at Jason and I said, I need you to open your book back up and I need you to write your eulogy as if your mother wrote it, who has passed on. Hmm. And about that time, I looked over at the two glass doors and there was a hummingbird right, right outside. And so I looked at Jason and I said, you need to look over your left shoulder really quick. Do you see that? And he's like, there's a hummingbird right there. I'm like, and I explained to him what it stood for. And I said, that's your mom. She's here. She needs you to write right now. And realize how powerful you are, how important you are, and that you do matter and you do deserve to be here. And so his two sentences that he had wrote earlier had gotten ripped out of the notebook and he began to write for 35 minutes, page after page after page after page. And he finally connected with his mom and he finally connected with who he was. The pain, man. Yeah. The pain. It was, the pain it was, man. Yeah. I told you people connect and and their ways that they've been through, like you mm-hmm. felt pain through loss that you buried and buried and then let bubble. And probably you can see the pain in people. And then you knew when he was bullshitting, you knew yeah. when, uh, I've sat with clients before sometimes when they're talking and you're like, come on, don't, don't tell me the shit you've been telling therapists for 10 years, you know? Yeah. And you can kind of pull through that pain almost as if you can see that, that, uh, you know, that deep thing buried in there. Yeah. And finding a way to pull that out. I, I, I like the ideas of trying to help people outside the box, man, especially those that have been through the similar events, you know, they can really walk you through it. Not somebody that's been trained or certified on how to do something. You know what I mean? Of course. I, I think that connection sometimes yeah. helps a little bit, you know, better than maybe a degree. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, it, he just started to like verbally vomit on paper. It was like things were coming out that he had not, that he had stuffed down so deep and it just purged everywhere right on paper. Yeah, that's And it was, yeah, it was the first instance of healing and he felt for a moment lighter, like, like there was a weight off of his shoulders and you could see like this calmness and this, this feeling of peace, this energy of peace around him. And so I, I told him, I said, Jason, go ahead and flip to a new page and the hummingbird's gone now. And I said, I need you to write now what your father would write. His father and him had had a falling out years ago. Deep, dark resentment, anger, everything, hostility towards his dad. His dad had abandoned him. And his father had died eight months after his mom had passed. He's going to so have he, a lot of questions on this writing. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, so I, I asked him to start writing about his dad. And lo and behold, his mom shows right back up. Mm. And she sits on this branch of this palm tree and just looks inside. And her wings stop moving, her energy stops moving, and she's just sitting there. And that hummingbird's sitting there watching him write about his dad. And he just starts crying for a moment, and then he shuts his book. And I said, what did you, what did you write? And he said, I forgive you, Dad. Mm, there's a strong one right there. That's yeah. Forgiveness goes a level deeper, man. As long as some people, you know, can get to the acceptance phase, but to go all the way down to forgiveness, that's a lot deeper place to be. Yeah. And his mom, Adam, she told him to write, you do matter. You are going to make this world a better place. So that's the message that his mom had conveyed to him. You help people purge the pain, man. Yeah. Yeah. So man, it speaks to the power of fucking perception change, man. Looking back, because there's, I mean, how many chance? Well, basically, each day that you're in lockdown, you got a chance to make the wrong turn. Absolutely. Know, especially the first, you know, few weeks and, and months out. You know, those are when you can make those turns. And uh, by not, you know, and taking a belief or perception, changing that, telling your story differently, you know, rather than saying how shitty it had been and all that, you know, you began to tell a different story. You Hell, you you chose a different story and made different choices to do so. That's why your quote, I, I see. Yeah, I am where I am today because of the choices I made yesterday. And it, it's true. It, watching Jason then transpire from where he was 24 hours the day before, where he was like, this is kind of like my last ditch effort. I'm going to give Danny a try. If he doesn't, if it doesn't work, I'm just going to continue to kind of float off to death. He was dying, dying a slow death. And then it's, well, I'm telling you, change can happen that fast, man. When a belief can change and that, that awakeness that, hold on, wait, reality is something that I control in perception, the way that I perceive it. When, if you can remember, you may have had many, but when was your first purge moment like that? Your writing or the, the venting of it? I'm thinking it's probably that fucking night. It got crazy, man. That's probably the purge. That's when it all came out. And it, it yeah. that wasn't me. Yeah. You know, that wasn't the Danny that was that's that was the purge, man. That's like uh that yeah. Yeah, that's a little that's a little more extreme. So yeah, there's purging I think that's healthy, and then there's that. Then there's not being able to come to grips with the hurt and the fear yeah. and the pain soon enough, you know, yeah. and be able to ease that out. I think you help people do that, man, is try to say, look, vulnerability is where it starts. Stop being so fucking hard because you've seen some shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It. I think every day after that, that really bad trauma, that the night that it all came down, was me journaling, me writing, me talking to other people. The more I talk to people, the more I heal. I learned so much from Jason this weekend, just about my own personal that was this weekend. That was this weekend. Yeah, he was here Friday to Monday. Oh, well, that's recent, man. I'm thinking we're talking about, no wonder you're like, yeah, just go down the Facebook a little bit. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this guy, uh, one of the most powerful moments was Sunday night. My daughter was sitting in the house with us. And I, I always invite my clients over before they head out on Monday to a family dinner. And I bring everybody to my house and my entire team. And we we break bread together and we kind of reminisce. And I, my daughter doesn't really know what I do. She knows that I help people, but she doesn't have any clue, really. What you know, she's sixteen years old. She's in high school. She's interested in in that. And I, I looked over at Jason. My sixteen-year-old daughter is sitting in the kitchen waiting on me. Let yeah. Me, let me let me show you how I understand being a sixteen a father to a sixteen-year-old. Because while you were talking, 
I got passed a note of what she could go do. So, <laughs> now, Pokemon, honey. Now, hold on. Now, you know when you're live on air and you're recording, right? And that's why I kind of disappeared for a minute, right? I'm trying to. Now, if you wanted to go do something for sure, when would you ask dad? <laughs> I'd pass him a note just like this while he was live on air. So he'd be like, you know, like that that's sleeping during the night shift, right? That just says yes to everything. That's right. That's right. So I get you with the 16-year-old thing, but she knows exactly what I do. She knows everything that I do, probably because I talk too much. But she, yeah, she is, yeah. Actually, or she just acts like she knows or cares. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two, man. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I thought it was No, fun. you're fine. Yeah, I um, my daughter doesn't know like a whole lot about what happened to dad. She knows that dad had a blow up. Um, I was at dinner a few weeks ago and we were talking about um, people that, oh, you know what? We were talking about a semicolon behind the ear, uh, a tattoo. And I've always thought about having that. I have t- my entire body's tattooed, but I was thinking about putting a semicolon over there for the story's not over is kind of um, a remembrance for February when it's coming back up. Um, Cause it'll be three years since, since my, my incident. And she's like, why would you get that? That's for people that try to commit suicide. And I said, Keely, I tried. And she just was blown away. So I know my daughter doesn't know the in-depth story behind dad. And, and that, that will come soon when she's ready. And when she, when she's ready to listen, um, but I, you can find out on on her own if there's a need for you know. Yeah, to, yeah, my story's out there, and she could she could listen to it if she wants. And more than likely, she knows. Yeah, I promise. Yeah. Know. yeah, way smarter than us, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> they, she knows. There's, yeah. I promise you, man. Those thumbs always working on those. You know, they probably <laughs> hacked. They probably hacked your email. <laughs> So she's, um, she's sitting down in our kitchen and, and um, Jason looks over at her and you, this guy is just glowing now because of the cemetery is one of many things that I do for breakthroughs. And that's probably the easiest one. They just get a lot harder and a lot more powerful and a lot more physical and in depth. If I ever come but, out there with you, don't do it with any heights thing. All right. No, no, no. <laughs> you know I mean? Never. I I gotta say the guy's probably terrified because I mean let's face it you look like you're fresh out of out of prison. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm social construct judging, brother, because that's what the world would do. But yeah. now they come out to you and I get driven out into the desert blindfolded. That usually doesn't end up well for people. No, and that's how he started telling my daughter. He said, um, you know, you, you got to imagine I'm I'm in your car with your dad. He's got me blindfolded and I have no idea where I'm going. Yeah, that never ends well. No, and my daughter's just kind of looking at him like, what are you talking about? So he starts to kind of tell the story of what had transpired over the last three days. But then he gets really serious, and he kind of looks over at her like this, and he looks eye to eye, and he says, let me tell you what your dad does, though. Your dad saved my life. And he started just bawling. I started bawling. And, And he just looks at her right in the eyes, and he says, thank you for allowing me to spend time with your father this weekend because he really truthfully has a gift he's powerful and he saved my life mm, so and now see my, i think every dad want to be known as doing that for a living right oh yeah i mean it was maybe to I see know. her eyes well up and she kind of looked over at me and smiled and she thought i i just think she's maybe a little bit interested now in, in what's going on 
but witness to it, man. When people yeah. see it and they see how people can change and, and help people change, that's that's powerful. I, I really like to dissect people's methods like that and and break them down from like a psychological level. And what you are able to see is kind of like you scare the bejesus out of somebody, which is what happened to you and happens to everybody else that feels that trauma. It scares the shit out of them. Yeah. And you take them to a place almost like exposure therapy kind of mixed in with this experiential moment. And, but then when they're at their most scared, you expose them to your most vulnerable part of your life. Yeah. Which is your sister's story. Right. So it's like, right. When they think, Holy shit, what the, what, what, Oh my gosh. And all of a sudden you're like, here's my wounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that, that's, that's a, that's an, that makes impressions that changes moments. You know, I believe people change in experiences that they believe themselves to, to change in, you know, if you allow them to do that or you create them strong enough, man. I mean, that's for me, that's the beauty of, of being human of the living like that is that, you know, we're the director, the writer, you know, we can, we're painting our work. We're doing it. You know, this is ours. Yeah. We are the architect. That's it. We choose with our thoughts to paint the pictures we want to and in those stories and share them, man. I mean, it's, that's, those are stories that need to be shared, man. And, and how you work with people. These are the things that I think are missing from mental health, you know, today, because everything has to be guidelined out, you know. Look, no one got hurt in that process that you did, and no one took a freaking pill. That's right. right? You're you absolutely right. There were no pills involved. You didn't have to go through your insurance maze, go to therapy for six months, and to see that, hey, the boy's got a big ass bubble of pain right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then letting them know that if there's a way to purge that, get that out, you can really do that. You know, I mean, the world teaches us to be so strong and hard, right? It's the first thing that I tell them when they get off the airplane is I hold both of their hands, whether it's a male or female, I look them right in the eyes and I say, I need you to trust me. Do you trust me? Mm-hmm. And I ask them that a few times because I put them in situations where they're, the fear is just off the hook. It's, 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 I mean, up here but I hold their hands and I squeeze them and I look them right in the eyes. And I'm like, do you trust me? If you trust me, I'll walk you into my arena and I promise you, you won't get hurt because I'll be in there with you. And I think by me meeting their energy level, whether it's, it's hurt, whether it's fear, whether it's being scared, where it's rage, whatever it is, I meet them eye to eye and I walk through with them together. It makes it easier than doing it all by themselves and just walking out there. Because when I'm there with them, there's a hand to hold. There's trust. And for the first time in a lot of these people's lives, they believe in somebody because they've been let down by so many others. Yeah. Well, that transfer, when you allow them to do it, it's the belief in themselves, you know, that become cultivated that, that we know when they can face something and, and, and face the fear or the hurt. But for the most part, man, you, you know, I think all of all human really at a, at a baseline level have, unless you're a sociopath, have a desire to be loved and accepted. And when that doesn't happen on many levels, that is the root of our hurt, you know, and beneath the fear, the assumptions, the expectations, the anger beneath all of that, the root of all that is that hurt and that non-desire, that non-accepted, you know, and when we can embrace someone to an acceptance level, meet them at their hurt, that's (laughs) how you pull the root of that shit out, you know, that's how you really get in there. And it takes people, I think, because therapists, you know, that may not have experienced a hurt similar, right, as deep as, say, loss or grief. I don't want to say anyone's hurt is more or less than anyone else's, you know, because, you know, your your hurt is in your perception. So, uh, but for those that have experienced a similar hurt, the grief, the loss, you know, the, the, the sudden um, vanquish, you know, of everything, 
that's a deep pain. And so when people, I think, connect and know that hurt and you meet them there, you got to have those people that can sit in front of them and go, look, I'm not just going through the, the textbook basics here. I'm not just running you through the routine. You know, what we're doing is being with you in the authentic in the now, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and being able to recognize, because a lot of times, man, people will hit you with that bullshit hurt. The little one, they'll, hit, they'll, they'll open up first about that, you know, well, two years ago, this girl broke my heart. And you're like, ah, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? And you have to be able to drive through that. A, a, a typical counselor can't do that. They can't look at you and quit bullshitting me. I mean, you can, but you can't say that's not the right hurt. It, yeah, right. You have to explore that, right? So, but you experiencing those types of pains, right? You can you can see through it. You you can feel your way almost, not feel, but almost like, I don't know, sense it, right? It's an intuition. intuition. It really, it really is. is. It's an intuition, intuition that I've been gifted. Gifted? I'm going to change it and say you earned it. Yes. The shit that you went through, I got to say, is a heavy dose or at least part of the ingredients to that ability. You know what I mean? I agree. It's got to be. So uh, rather than it, I think a gift, maybe been there the whole time, my friend, maybe you just, you know what I mean? You earned it. I had to tap into it. I really did. And, and just... The, like I told you, the more I connect with Wendy, with my sister, the more the intuition starts to come, the more I can foresee. The moment I meet somebody, it's almost an energy exchange when I shake their hands and I can almost feel what they're going through. I can look in their eyes and I can feel their pain or feel their happiness. Yeah. And as a coach or somebody that's leading somebody through these healing processes, that makes my life so much easier, but it also takes us so much deeper. I, I, my videographer that was filming during some of that cemetery stuff, the things that were coming out of my mouth, Adam, are not my typical vocabulary. It's like I connected with something else and somebody else. Blow State, my brother, is a powerful place. And I know yeah. it's simplistic, but when, I mean, we know the brain shuts off, the more deeper into flow we get. So, I mean, when you're riding big wave, when you're freestyling, when you're coming at somebody with all of your thought, wisdom, passion, your feeling, I mean, this can put you in a flow and your brain will shut down. It actually shuts down. We used to think it's wired more, but it goes away. So to argue that it's not just a filter of information, we like to think the brain, right, is the creator of the thought of the emotion, or is it really just the, the you know, is it the receiver? Is it, is it picking up ideas, thoughts, and we put them to comparison? You know, I mean, there's so much to learn about the future of where, you know, we can go with whether call them energies or whatever. Right. But so many things have taboos. They have, you know, cliches attached to them. Hell, you can't say life coach and not be like life kook. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But here's the secret, though, people, all of the counselors out there that are graduating with master's degrees, they've convinced you that you have to get licensed through their state regulation board, which is to go two years and pay them some more and get paid for shit, basically be a slave for two years. But little secret. If you hurry up and get your life coaching certificate, well, you can open up a practice. You just can't call it therapy or counseling. You can call it a bunch of other things you want to. But when you're already credentialed on that end and they want to force you then to another two years of taking their test and paying money, I'm telling you, there's secrets around it. So it's not always just about, you know, getting something because it's what we want to say we do, right? Because we're a life coach. Sometimes you got to play by a little bit of the damn rules so you can try to do what you do you know what you do yeah it's difficult man and for you being able to switch that pain and that hurt to a story man that's the stories i think help right yeah i mean 
look, I know when I sit around with friends or family and I'm in nature, or I'm at home even, we want to tell stories, right? We want to trade the, the remember wins and, you know, not the outcomes. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't go, hey, I was a champion once or I, I got picked to do something or I helped somebody once or I found something. We go, it was 1984. Right. You know, we, we start from the top and those stories and how we tell them are important. That's, I think that's how the wave starts of, of change and influence, my friend. It's where people connect with. When you, when you can learn to really authentically tell your story and not hide anything anymore and not candy coat it, people connect with us so much better. Even from a business standpoint, people that run businesses that are listening to this right now, if you can learn how to tell the story of your business, of how you got started and why, and it's like, you know, if, if you're selling pens and I'm selling pens and you sell pens for XYZ, but what if I told everybody that was listening that I've been selling this pen because this is the best pen that's ever been made. And my dad used to sell these pens and my great grandfather sold these pens during the Great Depression. And we've put every ounce of energy. You could just start to see how much more people would gasp, you know, grasp onto that story yeah. and how many more pens they would buy. I mean, it doesn't matter what section of our life we can learn to authentically tell our story with the walls down, the world would be a heck of a better place. Well, I can, here's a pitch for businesses to try and tell your story, but try this one, try to tell your story and talk about the weaknesses of your product and say, look, we know this part is decent. We're struggling here. Maybe you as an end user could help us with our product. Mm -hmm. Come out and whether it's food, it doesn't matter. Come out literally and go, we think this is the best. We're, we're struggling here. Give us some options. All of a sudden, if a corporation all of a sudden was telling the truth, because the truth is every corporation's got that meeting on Monday where they're going, shit, how are we going to fix this thing? Right. If <laughs> maybe make your Monday morning visible, visible to the whole world, have a Monday morning meeting where you're talking about the shit problems of your company. And maybe people can be like, ah, do this, do that. I don't know. There's a left field, you know, it's a different <laughs> but it's a full circle back to being vulnerable, right? It's applying that same word of vulnerability, man. I mean, you could put that V word and well, I have trouble communicating with my spouse or I have trouble communicating with myself. Uh, I have anger issues. I have um, social issues. I have social phobias and fears. I have guilt and shame. Oh, wait, just we can go all the way back to that very place is are you willing to be vulnerable about it you vulnerable about any of it i mean that's i don't know i, I want to say it's a foundation to change or someplace but there's a, it starts be, with, with being that man and i wish more people could learn to do that dude it set me free i'll tell you what I, it, it dropped the chains and it's put me into a whole different place in my life that i never would have imagined i could be here I mean, I, I can literally look at you right now and tell you I've never been this happy in my entire life. And if you'd asked me five years ago, could this be possible? I would have thought maybe if I had a million dollars or if I had this house or all this material shit that doesn't matter to a hill of beans anymore. But for the first time in my life, like I am excited to wake up every single day. And I'm bummed to go to bed because it's been such an amazing day. But I also know that there's a great day coming tomorrow, too. Yeah. I would ask you, man, have, have you found that you can be happy in the now while still searching for optimization, you know, tomorrow or next week or next year? Yes. I don't look further than like three months, though. I, I try not to look further than like 90 days because I'm, I'm definitely somebody that lives in the moment, very much present, just because I can't change what happened yesterday. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And something might happen to me leaving this parking lot today. 
So I, I try not to look too far, but I have dreams, you know, I have things that I want to do with my family. I, I have, you know, business things that I want to do to really reach out and touch the masses. I mean, that's been, that's been a mission statement of mine since I was 17 years old is being a, being a personal trainer back when I was younger, working one-on-one or with small groups, I started to get that, that hunger or that desire to change people and help people, but it's one-on-one. So I've, Adam, I've always thought like, how could I reach out and touch a thousand people, maybe a hundred thousand or a million? That's optimization for me thinking long, long in the long run, what I could do or what I want to do. Well, the internet allows us to do that, man. We, we mm-hmm. reach out to a lot of places uh, all over the, the globe, man. Uh, we, we do that for sure. We try to, I think that's what I tried to do. I like you, man. I remember trying to throw the, the camera being terrified, but I had to get, I almost had to get angry first. You know, when I realized and I found, you know, glitches in the system issues that when I, I don't know, when you kind of wake up, I, you find that, I hate saying purpose because, you know, we, we can, de- our purpose can change, you know, week to week. And so defining it, but, you know, finding a state of enthusiasm or something to focus on other than yourself that, that is, you know, produces growth and happiness in the world. You know, I don't know. I, I don't even try to define other people's cognitive rampage, you know, like today, if this would be the definition of Danny Page's cognitive rampage, you know, so yeah. I, I'm going to see I'm gonna, that video of you and buddy on the mat kind of talking and talking well getting uh, getting intense with each other i love that kind of kick the front door in help mm-hmm. i don't even like treatment but help you yeah know, if somebody is out listening now or is sitting in a similar situation and assuming well i know people will be that you know have those buried hurts those pains those fears i mean what would you walk them through if you could you know in the, in on this show at this moment you know with them really dig deep and be honest with yourself. Don't bullshit yourself, but be really truthfully honest with yourself and ask yourself at what point during your childhood or during your adolescent years, did you have the most hurt and who was it by? And find that person, whether they're dead or alive, and begin to write a letter to them and put every single thing that they ever did to you down on paper and purge the resentment the anger, the shame, the hatred, whatever it might be, purge it and write as much as you can possibly write and get it all out on paper. And once it's out, give it to them if they're still around, mail it to them, or more importantly, go in your backyard and light a match and watch those things burn away and get rid of it. It starts by going deep like that. You got to go really, really, really under the layer and figure out who hurt you or what hurt you. And be honest with yourself. It's, it's not that hard. Most everybody knows what it is. They just are afraid to talk about it. But behind closed doors, open up your notebook and start writing. And what happens is you get into a flow state, Adam, when you get into this, this, this project. And one page turns into 10 pages, which turns into 15 pages. And you actually might even start talking about other people that, that are part of that, that core hurt. And that's where healing starts is becoming aware of it, owning it and addressing it and getting some of those feelings out. Maybe that's not going to change everything for you, but I guarantee you, you're going to be a little bit lighter in your feet than you were before you picked up that pen and wrote. It's powerful. Yeah. That venting, man, that's shit, man. 
I used to uh, not write or do any of that for a little while, you know, and that, that purge was kind of my, that book, man, I kept a journal for like a long time because of the, you know, some abuse and stuff and uh, violence I put myself in later, but you know, that it was thick, that long journal. And it was just writing, you know, many, many times of just writing and putting it together and, and slowly cultivating that. I mean, everyone's got that story, you know, everyone's got a story to tell. And I think we choose how we tell that story. You know, we shape how that story is told with everything that we do, man. And your choices since being woken up, since experiencing all the, I'm going to just, you know what I'll call gifts or all those shitty things that you went through in life. I'm going to call those gifts in a way, man. Yeah. Because with those, you experiencing those one or five instances that, you know, you talk about seriously in your life are allowed to touch 30,000, 50,000, right? Who knows? Right. And so those, I think you can bear the weight, man. And I, I appreciate you being somebody willing to bear the weight of those heavy things of the past to be able to help Many, many beyond your few experiences of that of that pain as compared to the many you'll touch. Oh yeah, no, I I, I love it honestly. It's it's what my calling is. It's what I, I absolutely when when people come into town and spend those intensive retreats with me, it's I can't explain it as a job, you know. But it, it is. It's a job because it helps pay our bills and keeps a roof above our head. But it's way deeper than that. And the energy, the happiness, the smile, and the, the days after, knowing that somebody's going home with a smile on their face, with a whole different outlook, a box of tools that they can help battle whatever it is when they get home, yeah. giving somebody that empowerment is better than any paycheck you could ever get. Yeah, man. We uh, tell tell people actually how you know find you link up at what to do if somebody's listening or hears this and and is experiencing you know some kind of pain wants to connect with you. Where, where does where do people find uh, how to do so with you, man? The easiest place is just go to my my web page, which has a direct link to get a hold of me, and it's Danny Page P A G E Truth dot com, and it's got a couple videos from some of the most recent uh, intensives that have come through. One man, uh, one was a man, one was a woman that I ran through. I work with both men and women. And there's a lot about my personal story. And then there's my very first podcast that I ever did. And um, there's also a, a link down at the bottom that just says, I would like to talk to Danny. And there's a place for them to fill out some information that stays very private. And um, when I get one of those messages, my eyes light up because I, I realize that somebody's been called um, to work with me and I have a, a mission now to, to connect with them. And I have no clue what's going to happen. I have no clue what, what they're bringing to the table. And part of, part of the challenge and the excitement for me is I don't know where we're going to go. You know, the minute they get off the plane, I have a little background information about them, but it's not till Saturday morning till I dive into it that I really get to kind of learn where we're going to take this thing. But the website is the best place to connect. and. The podcast that's on there is the first one I ever did, well, and it's we'll send you this one too, man. When we're done, yeah, here, um, I'll have Steve send you over the um, you. I can probably send you the the link to be able to use the YouTube, but we'll also send you the uh, MP3. We'll send the audio. That oh, you, be, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. We'll we'll put this up on on our podcast and all, man. Yeah, and it's it's a, just a very simple website that shows people who I am. It's it's got some information about what I've been through and. That podcast was an hour and 20 minutes long, and the two interviewers did not say a word. 
I took the microphone and I ran. And at the end, I think it was about a minute and 17, it was over and I kind of came to a stop because I looked at my phone and um, one of them was so broken up with tears that he couldn't complete a sentence. So the other one had to take over. Mm. And um, so it's pretty deep and it shows people in real time how low I had to go and how deep I had to go and what it, what it looked like. So it's, it's great compare and contrast to see where I'm at now. Cause some people are like, well, why can you, why do you think you're capable of helping people? Well, look where I've been, look, look over I've been through for the last 30 years and look at the changes I've made in the last three years. And then look at the changes in the last year. And then look at the clients that I've worked with in the last five or six months. That's the credibility right there. Yeah. If somebody is, uh, needs a challenge, look, if, if no one's being taken advantage of, you're not shoving big pharma down their throat, you know, and, and what you're doing is helping people. That's good. Then for me, it's, you know, certification, certification, hey, you're helping people. It's, you know, we can help our fucking neighbors, you know, your other neighbors shouldn't come over and go, Hey, who said you could help your neighbor? You know yeah. what I mean? Like you, it's look, if you're helping somebody, it's we're helping somebody, you know, and yeah. that's, that's the best thing that we can do, man, is love and take care of each other, man. I, I appreciate you coming on and being transparent here and sharing, you know, everything openly, man. I, I, I applaud that man and it takes strength to do so. So thank you. Of course. I, I love it. Like I said, I just, any opportunity I get to reach out and touch people, I'm all over it. <laughs> I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to speak to a larger group of people that may not know who I am. Wow. They do now, man. And yeah. Hey, uh, don't be uh, your cast member now, brother. So you're on the tribe of change group too. So anytime you want the mic, man, you know, I posted today, you're always welcome to reach back out and say, Hey, there's a story I want to share or something, uh, you know, uh, somebody needs help, something like that. You, you let me know. I will. Definitely. It's going to be interesting to keep you guys kind of um, posted on, on Jason's transformation. You know, Jason's got um, a, a year transformation ahead of him. And we actually filmed for the first time I let cameras in behind closed doors to show the public what I actually do on my, my intensives. Hey, you know what? After give Jay, what's the marker you have set for him? Uh, as far as um, a weight or a date, you catching up with him, or is he out on his own right now? How, where's Where's he sitting at? Oh, so um, we have accountability check ins uh, once a week. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So once a week for how much longer? Uh, I'm going to stay with him for the next year. Okay, yeah, three next year. So what if every let's say every three months, uh-huh. give Jason an offer from us that he keeps you know doing keeps keeps rolling him discovering himself you know dealing with those his pain is hurt man uh you and jason come back on man we'll check in at least for a half an hour or so to you know once a week or that that week you know what i mean and just to give jason a little something else to look forward to a reason to tell place to tell his story too you know that would be amazing he would love that he's trying to get his own podcast started and one of the things that i did for him at the end of his retreat was I rented a, a very nice recording studio for him and had the computer set up with the mics and everything and kind of gifted that to him and let him do a podcast with me interviewing me. Yeah. That's and awesome. Adam, the confidence in his voice, like the confidence in his voice from two weeks prior when he tried a podcast to Sunday, he commanded the room. Like he spoke above me. And, and here I am being the coach all weekend. And then all of a sudden it's a role reversal and he's commanding the room and he's taking control of the microphone and you could just feel like confidence and 
you know, belief in himself. It was just exuding from him in the room. Well, I'm glad that's the one. Is that the podcast that you posted? I think we we helped share that uh, podcast too. If it's the one you put up or the one you were just a guest on? Um, this one hasn't gone live yet. This one um, is, is going to be coming live soon. Yeah, he needs yeah. to get it up. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's funny to get it up. So, no, but tell him, I don't know, um, it's August August 8th right now or 9th. And they say two months from now, man, let's check in with Jason. I would love to. And have him, I'll shoot an email. Any questions he's got, podcasts or anything, man, please shoot it my way. I can help him. I prob- I'll probably have an answer if I don't, Steve does. Okay. You know, so any questions that you got too, you know, we'll talk, but you know, yeah. say, say exactly two months from now, man, let's check in with Jason and you and let's go live with him and talk about what he went through. You know, for, fuck two months, 30 days. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would love that. That would be awesome. Let's check in in 30 days uh, from now sometime around there. Right. We'll plan it and you and Jason, come on, let's talk about what it was like. You know, I, I want to hear about what you do from somebody that's been through what you do you know what i mean of course i would love that you feel me so like yeah. 30 days let's see, we'll, we'll be talking anyway so you you willing to set that up yeah i would love to he okay. would he would love to i promise oh, yeah oh dude i love it man again man i, I gotta run out of here dude but thank you man thanks of again. course adam thank you honestly it's just for connecting with me and, and inviting me into the tribe of change and, and bringing me on a this podcast is to me, bro, it, honestly, it means a lot. And I, I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful. I'm just a humble human being. And any opportunity I get to connect with others, yourself included, I'm very thankful. So I appreciate it. Thanks for saying yes, man. Uh, look, I, I don't forget where this podcast came from, where I sent out 100 emails a week for 99 no's, okay? Yeah. I, mean, no, I got no's from my friends <laughs> when I was trying to do podcasts. You know what I mean? So, uh, no, thanks for saying yes, dude, and, and telling the story and coming on. And uh, 30 days from now, man, let's uh, let's kick it again. Let's meet Jason, and uh, let's hear how he goes on the podcast. I would love it. You're going to be impressed. <laughs> Looking forward to it, man. I, again, dude, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk in 30 days, brother. Okay. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. All right, man. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody, I appreciate you for uh, listening and listening uh, to Danny's story and uh, staying with us. And uh, he'll be back in 30 days. Um, I can't wait to see it, man. I want to hear about uh, the intense videos that I've seen. If you haven't seen those videos, you need to tune in, check them out. Um, I like the out of the box, man. I I enjoy that, man. I enjoy the stories of people. Uh, I enjoy listening to the triumphs uh, and People overcome themselves, you know, and change other people and dedicate their lives, you know, to give them back or at least fighting something. Right. But um, Danny told you where he can find you at his. I believe it was Danny Page And he's all over Facebook too, Danny Page. You can't miss him. He's just massive dude with tattoos. Come on. There's not. I think if you search Danny Page, there's like not that. All right. So you can find him, man. But as you see, he's a gentle giant, dude. Uh, that's, uh, that's the part I love too, is people that can, that can, you know, change social constructs just by speaking and spending time with them. But if anybody else too, so uh, there's a few people we've been talking to directly from the tribe of change, um, with dollar mental health club, which has been pretty cool. It's kind of cool to connect with some of you online like that. And then we do some mental training together with dollar mental health club. So, uh, you guys see it anyway. So Check it out, man. There's a bunch of different mental workouts that we can do together, but I hope you're taking care of you. 
we've covered a lot of information. I love diving deep into stories like that. And oh, let me apologize first and foremost um, for I realized I made an apology for not having not being able to air uh, my me and Naudi's meeting uh, with Kareem because it never happened. So I couldn't air it. I couldn't go live. And I posted my apology under the tribe of change. Um, and I didn't realize it wasn't on the cognitive rampage. So um apologize to those that didn't know. But uh, we had a miscommunication. Uh, now he happened to be in the forest <laughs> and I couldn't reach him. So frankly, I was jealous that I wasn't in the forest, but I apologize. I was just glad that we could post number three, at least for a recap. If Naudi and I record between now and next Wednesday, I will post it immediately. But it may just help us catch up to the myths of motivation that we're doing because now they'll both be on the same number. So you'll be seeing the myths from the previous week come out on the podcast the week after we do them. But when we do them live on YouTube, we will record them live on YouTube and the YouTube video will be up for the entire first week to watch it. Then it hits the podcast the following week as we're recording the next week. So that's how the myths of fitness and the myths of motivation will be running. We are starting a new segment Monday that you're going to see called the state of education. And my friend, Big Mike, the messenger, who's been on the podcast three or four times, uh, is starting his show, if you will, on our network, the Cognitive Rampage. But the state of education, Mike is in the schools all through Orange County. He has spoke at many, many schools in front of thousands of people and six kids. Right. So the range of everywhere. Uh, he is a educational consultant, an operations guy. He's he's a disciplined guy, let me tell you. So anyway, listen to those podcasts previous, if you will. He's been in the top 10, well, two or three of those episodes in and out of the Rampage lineup there. But anyway, his show, The State of Education, will be airing on Mondays. And he's going to be talking about the state of education on various aspects of it, from teaching to administration to learning to all types of it. He will be interviewing principals, administrators, teachers, students, athletes, coaches, parents, all types of people, obviously, that are involved with the state of education. And we will be focusing on the state of Florida. That's the, the state that we live in and reside. So we're going to be able to pull a lot of local things here from the state and information. Also... I will be starting a mental training video that's going to be about five minutes or less once a week. I'm going to release those probably Monday or Tuesday-ish. And that's why you see the white screen, if you will, going up behind us. You'll eventually see uh, these come down. It's a green screen. So we're going to up the ante from those really shitty produced Adam's Rampage videos that I used to do. Uh, I apologize. So uh, I think they're titled My Work or something on YouTube. But those were years ago. So we're going to, or I'm going to try to up the ante a little bit with the videos and give you something a little more instruction, a little more uh, didactic, if you will, but be able to show you with some graphics and what I'm saying and maybe not have to scribble on a whiteboard like I love to do. So the mental training videos will be very short. They'll be coming out um, next week, definitely next week. Um, Dollar Mental Health Club, actually, I'll be dropping nine little teaser videos to kind of tell you what each one of those workouts really mean, you know, what those mental workouts are for. If you'll see on dollarmentalhealthclub.com, you will find there's nine different workouts that you can choose from. But anyway, August is busy. Dr. Bobby Hoffman and I are frivolously, frivolously, meticulously, passionately, enthusiastically 
working on Hacking Motivation, a book we aim to release in December. We're going to air We're going to release that book probably the first week of December as our target. I am working with the master of motivation himself. He has set quite a plan. Uh, his first book actually is the textbook of, of the science of motivation, which is called Motivation for Performance and Learning. And that textbook, the story of how he wrote that textbook is pretty crazy. He had 500 days. He set himself a map wrote 500 words a day, ended up writing a 485-page textbook on motivation, single author. Most textbooks are multiple authors putting their um, words together in a culmination, but he did this by himself, wrote the uh, most used textbook, if you will, for master's degree to help teach our teachers into areas of personal development and motivation. He talks about the science of motivation, not just the fluff or the ideas or inspiration behind motivation. So him and I have co-authored or are co-authoring the new book, Hacking Motivation, which is taking his 400, I think 438 pages something textbook and pulling the marrow, if you will, from that science and that textbook and applying it to very easy to understand hacks, if you will. So we're going to have a range of hacks that you can apply that are from the science of motivation, things that you can apply in all areas of life, career, business, relationship, life. We're narrowing those down to very specific, probably 50 to 100, something like that, specific hacks that we'll have uh, as we're also putting myths to bed. So I think that's it. What else am I forgetting? The state of education, the mental training videos. We're doing like six shows a week. Oh, I'm starting a Florida MMA podcast with my friend Julian Williams. Julian Williams, as I like to call him, is Orlando's favorite fighter. Uh, he just happens to be somebody I went to high school with and who I love very much. And he's a badass. I think he's like eight and one right now. Smooth jitsu. Uh, most of the uh, most of the MMA fighters that have gone somewhere and fight in the UFC uh, currently, uh, like Platinum Mike Perry and Alex Spartan, uh, who will be on the podcast when he gets back. But anyway, these guys all train with uh, Julian once in a while. They have to roll with him. Everybody knows who Julian is if you uh, fight in the Central Florida area. But anyway, him and I eventually will be teaming up to do the Florida MMA podcast, which is all things Florida MMA. We're going to broadcast live from his gym uh, and his two friends, Jim as well, James and Eddie. But we will be broadcasting live from there probably Friday, Friday nights, something like that. Uh, but I'll let you know more when the Florida MMA podcast will be starting. So Myths of Motivation, Myths of Fitness with Naudi will be back on Wednesdays, all right? When he gets out of the forest, I'm going to line him up. It was supposed to be our his friend Kareem, but um, we have time zones. It happens. So, And we have mental training during the week, I think I already said, plus the regular podcast. Brad Burge from MAPS, Multidiscipline Association for Psychedelic Studies. Whew. Brad Burge is coming on the podcast probably the end of August, as well as Dr. Carl Hart. He is quoted in my book, The Cognitive Rampage. Dr. Carl Hart has changed the way that I just, come on, just do your research. Just look into Dr. Carl Hart, okay? I've been trying to get him on the podcast, and he's coming on August 30th, uh, the same week of Brad Burge from MAPS. So it's an exciting week of people coming on the podcast. and. Even better. I think I told you everything. Watch. I always have podcasts from Morris. I'm like, ah, I was annoying them already for this length of time. Should just continue annoying them. Oh, well.
It's great. I love you all. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're in a cognitive rampage.